Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you can live inside of me and that you can live inside of everyone in this room and that we can still ask you for more, more of our Father. So we say, come and reveal the Father to us. Jesus, you said that he'll take of yours and that he'll reveal it unto us. And you said all things that the Father has are yours. That's why you said that he'll take of yours. So we thank you that, Holy Spirit, you do the job that you were sent to do, and that you teach us, and that you edify us, and that you bring us closer to who you are. We value you, we honor you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's crazy because I love notes, and I would love to, to teach like Mark and Val does, and they can teach line upon line, and I think I got line upon line, and then I'm going to leave, and the Lord says, grab that book. And I'm like, but Lord, I have the message. I have it. <laughs> That's the throne room company by a guy named Sean Bull, but his foreword is done by John Paul Jackson, and John Paul Jackson passed away, but uh, he wrote this, and in this, he tells of a time where the Lord took it. He said he went to the third heaven, and I, I believe it because and this was in 2002 that John Paul Jackson says the Lord took him there. And he's explaining the next outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it's right where we are right now. And it is so amazing. So I'm going to read it. In 2002, I had an encounter with the Lord and His Holy Spirit that disintegrated many former opinions I had held. In this encounter, the Lord spoke to me and said, The pecking order in the church is about to topple. I'm going to start promoting unknown people to the fourth row. To fully understand the gravity of this simple word spoken to me, you must understand what God was referring to about promoting leaders to the fourth row. Several years ago, I had an encounter with a heavenly messenger who took me to the third heaven. While there, I saw and heard about a great move of God that was coming to the earth. This is stuff we dream about. Like, I dream about that stuff. I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, I wept. This is my heart's desire. Entering an expansive white room, I saw four tiers of pure white rock bleachers on one side of the room. The first three rows were filling up with church leaders. All of the leaders on the third row were very famous, but those leaders on the first two rows I did not know at the time. The angel looked at me and said, the key to the next great move of God in the earth is found in the book of Romans, and in particular chapter 4. Contained there is an unembraced truth that will mark and distinguish this coming move from all other moves of my spirit. Suddenly I understood that each row represented the established pecking order in the church and that one day there would be a sudden and great change. The angel told me that one day the Lord would suddenly catapult leaders on the first two rows over those on the third row who had lorded their ministries over the others. These unknown leaders would then stand on the fourth row where no one had stood since the early church. You see, the Lord does not respect the church's pecking order. Instead, he respects those with humble hearts and contrite spirits who are true to him. It is communion and intimacy that God honors, not works and accomplishments. Humanity has imposed a self-made system of supposed spiritual acknowledgement. If one does not fit into this lanyard hierarchy pecking order, 
and wait to be acknowledged by those above, then one will be shunned for not following human enforced protocols. To be truly great in the kingdom of God, however, we must be humble and passionately in love with the king. Like Mary at Jesus' feet, before I go on any further, he's not talking about overthrowing leadership or anything like that in the book. That's not what he's talking about. We submit to all authorities. That would be opposite of the word of God if he was trying to cause people to rise up and try to overthrow leadership. This is actually God calling people forth and not people calling themselves or promoting themselves. To be truly great in the kingdom of God, however, we must be humble and passionately in love with the king. Like Mary at Jesus' feet, we need to be content to sit and wait on God. We should hang on his every word. This is what a throne room company does. We must be willing to look foolish in the eyes of our peers as we proclaim boldly what God has told us to say and do. It is only through God's power and trust in us that our destiny can be fulfilled. Our own abilities, strategies, and scheme will continue to fall short. In the coming days, God will raise up unknown and humble men and women of faith who have patiently waited for God to do the miraculous. He will promote them as leaders. These men and women will be refined by years of making good choices that reflect godly character, ethics, and morality. These leaders will not be recognized for their titles or ministries before the presence of God evidenced in their lives. They will have an intimate and beautiful relationship with their Heavenly Father. In addition, many of these will be a company of people who will be taken to God's throne room. When this happens, supernatural power and miracles will return to the church. It will not be limited to one person, one church, or one geographic area. God will scatter his manifestations of miraculous power over many cities and nations. As this thick presence of the Holy Spirit infiltrates the church, denominational boundaries that have separated churches will become insignificant. A fresh emphasis will be made on having a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. People will be known for walking humbly with God as well as with men and women. Past issues that God has permitted to exist will come under greater scrutiny and conviction by the Holy Spirit. A new wave of holiness will fall upon all believers. Repentance from self-righteousness will become a stronger focus. Meekness, which results from sacrificing the right to be right, will be evidenced in the lives of those upon which the Lord's anointing rests. God will be known by the company he keeps, a glorious, revitalized church, desperately in love with him. This coming move of the Holy Spirit will not be dependent on a certain individual's gifts or anointing. Rather, the Holy Spirit will sovereignly release this presence. We simply need to be ready and full of humility, transparency, vulnerability, hunger, and brokenness so we do not crumble when the weight of God's presence touches us. The first time I read that, it stirred me up so much. If you listen to what he said, he said that this move will take people who are unknown by name and it will promote them above the other people who have been in ministry for a long time. That there will be a strong focus on intimacy with God rather than ministry. That there will be a great repentance from self-righteousness. That's where we're at right now. A great repentance from self-righteousness. And that people will be known 
by the presence of God that they carry on their lives. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I long to be known for, is the presence of God. I don't like it when I go pray for somebody who has cerebral palsy and nothing happens. I hate that because I realize that that's not Jesus. And nothing's wrong with Him. And nothing's wrong with me. When we pray and nothing changes, nothing's wrong with Him and nothing's wrong with us. There's just a place in Him that we haven't gotten to yet. God is amazing. Romans 11.29 says, The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. The ERV puts it this way, God never changes His mind about the people He calls. He never decides to take back the blessings He has given them. You know, some of the greatest inventors, none of them were saved. The majority of the inventions that we see, the people that created them weren't saved. You know, they had a destiny that they were actually designed by God to create. He gave this mind to them and understanding to them. Whether they honored Him with the gift that He gave them or not, He still gave it to them. And He didn't regret giving it to them, even though they never glorified Him with it. Have you ever given something to somebody and said to yourself, after they didn't do what you thought they should have with it, I'll never do that again? Have you? I have. I have thought I made a mistake. God, I thought that for sure that was you. It was. Because God's not like that. He's not like that at all. When He gives us something, it's for you, not for Him. See, and sometimes we have strings attached when we give something to somebody. We say that we give it to them because we love them, but then they don't do what we think they should do, and really it's because we love us. Because they didn't do with it what we thought they should. I'm so glad God's not like that because we would all have and be absolutely nothing. We would. Isaiah 40.10 I woke up the other morning. Actually, it was yesterday morning. I woke up and the first words out of my mouth to Heather was like, first words, because I was fresh on my mind. I said, you know, God is a genius. And like in my mind, it was like some great revelation to me. And she's like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, God is a genius. In this scripture, behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Nothing in creation is by accident. That God actually measured out the earth, the heavens. God is a genius that our earth can be turning counterclockwise while going around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour, counterclockwise, completing a full rotation every 365 days? 
Our earth, why spinning that fast around the sun, never goes out of orbit, never sways off course, and why all this is going on? The moon circling the earth, counterclockwise, all at the same time? God weighed them in a balance. He measured them out. That's what it says. Heaven with a span. He measured the sun from the earth exactly how far it needs to be. The moon from the earth. The direction that they need to go. How fast they need to go. He did all that. Before gravity was ever known as gravity, it was gravity to God. (laughs) It appeared in a man. And he got the revelation and said, gravity. I'm going to call it gravity. God did that. God forms and and fashions our lives in such a way that when people look at us, they literally have to say, God did that as born-again believers. Because only God could do that. We don't know it all, no. But that doesn't mean we know nothing. The stuff we know, we know. The stuff we don't know, we just don't know it. There will be a day when you know it. There will be. There will be a day when every question that you have is answered. You don't need to think about what you don't know because what we know is sufficient enough. Amen? Because every revelation literally is given an opportunity for an encounter. Once you have a revelation, it opens up the opportunity to have an encounter and it's in the encounter that power is produced in our lives that then that revelation can be released from us into somebody else's life. Amen. Oh, God is so good. God gives us something, and when He gives it, it's completely up to us how we steward it. Because when He gives it to us, He gives it to us. You know, the Bible says that the earth are the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and means everything in the earth was created by Him. But it says the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has He given to the children of men. And even though Adam brought a curse in the earth, Adam did. Satan didn't bring the curse in the earth. If you look in Genesis, the father said to Adam that cursed is the ground for your sake. It means because of you. He was telling them what was coming. And even though God gave them the earth, it was still in their stewardship. When God gives us something, it's still in our stewardship. And even though he would have helped humanity steward what he gave, even when they made the wrong choice, He was still going to redeem and bring back into order what was made wrong. Because when God gives something, because God's not like us. He's not needing affirmation from us to help Him somehow discover who He is. He's not like that. God knows who He is. He's not insecure about who He is. He's not. Not at all. If people curse His name all day long, it doesn't bother Him. When somebody speaks evil of us, somehow it affects us because we think that somehow they can damage us. Do you know that you can't damage God? He's not insecure. He don't need affirmation from humanity to somehow figure out who He is. That's not why He created humanity. He created humanity to love, not even to be loved. And like me and Mark were talking, when you have children, you don't have children thinking, I want to have some children so I can be loved. You No, you don't do that. You have children because you want to love. Not so that they can love you. Like, how selfish is that? <laughs> if, if your kid came to you and said, you know, Mom, Dad, we were thinking about having kids because we want to be loved. 
<laughs> You'd probably be like, well, you're having them for the wrong reason. <laughs> Maybe you should pray about having kids. Because <laughs> you don't do that. You don't do that. But this, what I'm talking about, it translates into every area of life. When God gives us something, there's no strings attached because when He gives it, He gives it for us, not for Him. Heather, oh, it was probably the second year of our marriage. We were pretty broke at that time, so she bought me this necklace for our anniversary. And it wasn't expensive, but for us, it was pretty expensive. And I had it for a while. And then I felt the Lord tell me to sew it into one of my buddies. And so I did without talking to Heather. And Heather just simply asked me, she said, well, why'd you do that? I got that for you. The buddy that I sold it into wore it for years. <laughs> Even if he would, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have mattered. But I told her because I felt like the Lord was telling me to. And she just said, okay. You know, since that time, she's bought me watches, she's bought me jewelry. And you know, she never goes back to that time. Well, I gave you that that one time and you gave it to your buddy because she didn't think that me giving it to my buddy was not valuing her. There was no strings attached. She gave it because she loved me, not because she loved her, but because she loved me. There's no strings attached. I heard a, a story from Keith and Phyllis Moore I don't know, more life ministries, but one day they went to this conference and the Lord was telling Phyllis to give this woman her engagement ring. Phyllis was like, no, Lord, you don't give stuff like that away. And the Lord kept directing her to give it away. And she went to Keith and said, Keith, I believe the Lord's telling me to give this engagement ring to this woman. And Keith said, well, is it the Lord? And she said, yeah. He said, well, then what are you waiting on? She gave that woman the ring, and that woman broke down crying. She said that her and her husband had been debating whether or not to get a divorce. And she said, this is an answer from the Lord. And now, I think it was like 12 years later, they're still together and they're in ministry. That's amazing, ain't it? <laughs> it's so amazing. But it, it translates into every area of life. See, if you're going to treat people the way that they treat you, then we're not walking in love. If you're going to treat people the way that they treat you, then you're not walking in love. Because in the reality, we're more concerned about us than them. If somebody's rude to you or mean to you and you turn around and you say, well, I'm going to be the same way, an eye for an eye. And you do that? What if Jesus was like that? What if Jesus was hanging on the cross, nails through his hand, a crown of thorns on his head, nails through his feet, and then all of a sudden these people are mocking him, the Pharisees, you saved others, come down from there, save yourself if you're the Son of God, what if He would have said, okay, you're all going to hell. You're going to be separated from your Father for eternity. You want to reject Me? I reject you. We can't imagine Jesus saying that, can we? No. Why? He would have had a right to based on what they did to Him. 
Because sometimes we think we have rights. And that's what John Paul Jackson was saying, that the people of God will sacrifice the right to be right. Because Jesus sacrificed the right to be right. If anyone would have had any reason to send anyone to hell or condemn anybody, it would have been Jesus. The very people that He came to die for and to love, just rejecting Him, spitting on Him, hitting Him, mocking Him while He's hanging on the cross. And do you know, Jesus is not so concerned with Himself where He would tell them they're going to hell or go to hell. He's not. You know what Jesus is concerned with in the most trying affliction that he has ever experienced or any man had ever experienced? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. His heart was still filled with compassion towards his persecutors because when he came, he didn't do it for him. He did it for us. Jesus had no sin. He didn't have to die for His own sin. You understand that, right? When He paid the price for sin, it was for us, not for Him. It's so that we could be free. He was already free. And He valued our freedom so much that He would let His blood, the blood of the Son of God, spill on the ground while people are laughing, mocking, ridiculing Him, spitting on Him, that He would say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's love. I remember about 12, 13 years ago, I was at the DMV, me and my cousin Jay. Man, Jay was trying to get his farm service CDL. This woman was horrible. I mean, we went there three or four times, and at the end of the fourth time, she didn't want to help us. She didn't even want to look at us. At the first time, she seen us. She didn't want to look at us or help us. So the end of the fourth time, I'm so frustrated, and I said, you're going to have a bad day. <laughs> Because I'm, you know, I'm Jesus. You can't treat Jesus like that. I'm a son of God, and you can't treat a son of God like that and get away with it. You know, the reality is she was already having a bad day. And I thought that somehow with her offending us, that it was okay to tell her, you're going to have a very bad day because you just treated us like this. I'm okay with telling failures, faults. I don't want anyone to think I'm somebody I'm not. I don't want you to think I've never had a failure, never had a fault. I am who I am. It's all just me learning to walk. None of us have ever been down this road before. We might have seen other people do it, but we weren't in their shoes. This is you learning to walk, and God's not disappointed when you trip and fall. He's the good Father that picks you up and tells you, try again. He's okay with us falling. But so many Christians, after the fifth or sixth fall, they don't want to get up anymore. Oh, don't ever let that be you. Never let that be you. Keep getting up. Because I've seen something. All of a sudden it hit me. And I, and I said to my cousin Jamie, I said, you know what, man? I said, when we learn to love like Jesus loved, we'll see what Jesus sees. When we learn to love like that. We know there's no condemnation for us. We know that. We know we're never condemned. We know that He has made us accepted in the Beloved, that we're acceptable to God. But if the devil can't get you to judge yourself or to condemn yourself, his next ploy is to get you to judge your brother. I was thinking about this on Monday, and I was just praying, and I was thinking about it, and I had my eyes closed. 
and I seen this this demon in my side, and it kind of freaked me out. Like, actually, I don't have no demon in my side. I'm trying to pull this thing out in my mind. It's not coming out. And all of a sudden, I see it going from my side and entering up like through my esophagus and coming out my mouth. And then I realized, hold on, Lord. You're saying that there's a spirit of judgment in your church and it can't be pulled out by force. It has to be rejected. I knew it all at once. How in the world, maybe not in this one, but in most churches, there's a spirit of judgment and the enemy comes to try to get you to condemn your brother. Well, they're not where they should or they don't believe how they should. Do you know that we're all free to believe however we want? It might not be right, but we're free. You're free to believe whatever you want. You can't strong arm somebody to believe the same way you do. All you can do is just live what you believe. Amen. And when somebody's open that you can actually influence and share when the Holy Spirit prompts you to. But you don't hate your brother because he don't believe like you believe. It's not an area of contention. There should never be an area of contention among us. We're not striving over theology. We all will not agree on the same thing. We won't. We don't have to agree on theology because our agreement to love supersedes every other theology, whatever it is. Love is what links us together. Jesus said that all the world shall know that you're my disciples because of your great theology. Oh, hold on. That's not what it says, is it? It says that the whole world will know that you're my disciples because of your love, one for the other. That means somebody don't believe like you, but you still love them? that there's no contempt in your heart, that you're just there to be a friend. You don't even have to argue about belief systems. You're just there because that's what love does. You know the Scripture actually says that love keeps no account of a suffered wrong? It doesn't. No account of a suffered wrong. 1 John 2.2 And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that says, I know Him, and keeps not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whosoever keeps His word, in Him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we know Him. So it says that whoever keeps not his commandments is a liar. So let me ask you, are you keeping the commandments? You know how many good messages I've heard on law-based religion from that? Oh my goodness, most of you look condemned while I'm preaching it. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Because that's the way that we've been programmed. We think those commandments are sin, but do you know the next chapter over, he tells us what those commandments are? 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment. Now what did John say in the previous chapter that we all felt condemned over at one time or another? Whoever 
keeps not his commandments is a liar and doesn't know him. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keeps his commandments dwells in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. The commandments he's talking about is believing on the name of the Son of God and loving your brother. Those are the two commandments. I think it's in the next chapter. The Apostle John is saying, he says that whoever does not righteousness is not of God. How many of you guys actually thought that was works? We thought it was works. We thought that it was actually to do righteousness, you have to do works. But then you find in Romans chapter 6, I think it's verse 20, where the Apostle Paul says that when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. It means you had no ability to do it. Because righteousness is not an act, it's a person. And when we put our faith in that person, we're declared righteous because he's righteous. And it freed us from that servanthood of sin, where sin used to enslave us. Sin no longer has power over us because we've been made righteous. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, awake unto righteousness and sin no more, because you're awaking unto the identity of a person, and that person is in you. And when we awake unto the reality of Jesus in us, which is our hope of glory, then sin loses its power. And then we start to work righteousness, which is a belief system. And we've been perfected in His love. You know, it says in 1 John chapter 4, it says that as He is, so are we in this earth. As He is. And I used to preach, how is He? He's high above all principalities, spirits, might, and dominion. Every name that is named. He's high above all that. And we've been seated with Him in heavenly places. And all that's true. He is. The whole verses right above that is all about God is love. And it's saying that God is love. And as God is, so are we in this world. If God is love, then we're love. I believe that there's a place in God, I don't know if I've got there yet, but I believe there's a place in God where somebody can punch me on one side of the face and I can turn the other. I believe that's possible. And like I was telling Jamie, I said, I never had it happen if somebody was going to punch me and say, what about that verse? I'd have to say, we'll just have to see, you'll have to punch me. Either I'm going to turn the other cheek or I'm going to beat you half to death. Well, honestly... I believe there's a place in God where that's possible, where you can look at somebody who hates you and you be filled with such love for them because you know who you are. Their hate can't affect your spirit because your spirit's made in the image of God. There's a place in God where we can love those who are unlovable because we were unlovable. And God chose to love us and as He is, so are we in this world. That means I can love you if you hate me. I can ask the Father to forgive you if you spit on me. I never want to hold something against somebody. And when we realize who our identity is found in, nobody else will be able to take it from me or talk me out of it. You can't make me feel less than what I am. You didn't love me with an everlasting love. You can't take something away from me you never gave me. I'm not trying to use you to find my value. I don't need acknowledgement from you to somehow get affirmation to convince me of who I am. 
Now that you're born again, you carry the same spirit in you that raised Christ from the dead. You do. You look just like Him. And that's a waking up to who we are, to who He is in us, and to becoming love to the unlovable. No, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. I didn't deserve a thing I got. And it's because I didn't deserve it, I don't feel like I earned it. Makes me love all the more. There's no pride or arrogancy. I miss it a lot, guys. There's been times in my past where I just kept missing it and missing it and missing it, and I feel like, man, I was made to miss it. (laughs) I don't have bad days anymore. I really don't. I might have a bad moment. Like, even when things go wrong, I don't fall apart. Because I've been perfected in love, and perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. Any correction He brings is always to improve us. And that without you loving one another, the world will never see Him. I'm going to go to John chapter 16. That is amazing. John chapter 17, actually. Listen to what He says. John chapter 17, verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which you have given me, for they are yours. Doesn't that seem very rude of Jesus just to pray for his own disciples but not the world? Doesn't that seem a little selfish? You notice he didn't say, I'm not praying for the people in the world. He was talking about a system. You know that same system of religion is the one that crucified him? Do you know the when he goes on to talk about that when not in this chapter, but he said that there's coming a day that whoever kills you will be thinking they're doing God's service. (laughs) That's that religious system. And Jesus said, whoever rejects the Son does not have the Father. And whoever hates his brother doesn't know God. doesn't say that God doesn't know you. Do you know that the religious system is going to turn on you? You understand that, right? When you're preaching and living solely Jesus, a finished work, that there's nothing more you can add to it, that system is going to turn on you just like it did Jesus. That's why Jesus would say, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. It wasn't the sinners in the world that hated Jesus. It was the religious establishment that hated Jesus. It wasn't the sinners. We got this backward, twisted thinking in the church that somehow we need to stay away from sinners. With you staying away from sinners, they're never going to see Jesus. They won't. See, the world knows what to do with hate. If you hate them because they hate you, uh, that's just life. But they have no answer for love in the face of hate. It convinces them of God because they don't know anything like that. They've never seen anything like that. Someone who's willing to love even though they hate them. The world hasn't seen love like that. To be honest with you, a lot of the churches haven't even seen love like that. The church is known for shooting its wounded. This one's not. But when you group the church together as a whole, you know how many people are wounded because they've been kicked out of church? That's crazy, isn't it? I know people personally that still haven't stepped back in a church in years because they were kicked out. It wasn't no like crazy moral stuff either, just minor stuff. Ain't that some crazy stuff? 
like the body is cutting off own, its own body. Like, you're not acting the way that I want you to act, so I'm just going to cut my foot off and think I'm going to get through life okay. Somebody says, hey, you're maimed. You're like, no, I'm whole. <laughs> you're like, you're limping. You're missing half your leg. Do you know that love is the only thing that can repair the breach that humanity has back to the Father? In Isaiah, he talks about you shall be called the repairer of the breach. That you shall raise up the former generation of desolation that we shall raise them up. That's what love is. There's a place in God where you can love so perfectly that everything you do is not for you. Because of love, it's for them. So even if they mishandle what you give them, they don't treat you the way they should have when you said hello. You open the door and they just walk right by you. I used to hate that. I was a delivery guy. And when they do that, I'd just yell, you're welcome. I wouldn't. No, I wasn't too spiritual. I thought I was, though. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you got something out of this. I really do. Amen. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your grace, Your mercy. We just thank You that You are so amazing. I just ask You that You bless these people, Lord Jesus, as we go our way today, Father, that there would just be a fresh revelation of who You are in our mind and that that revelation would be an invitation into encountering who you are. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.